Well, welcome everyone, whether you're here live in person or tuning in online or on demand. We are so thankful that you are a part of our extended family here at Sea Road. Thank you for being here. Hey kids, age three to grade three, now is the time that you get to hang out with Pastor Desiree and her wonderful team of volunteers out on the boulevard. So if you want to go ahead and do that, if you're live here in person, now kids at home, you're going like, hey, what about me? Did you know that you can watch online on-demand content whenever you want? It's available at centennialroad.com. So we're about eight months into this thing called the global pandemic, the thing that shall not be named And maybe, maybe you and I are just experiencing some things we never planned for. Like we're confined in a space with the people that we love the most, but they also frustrate us the most. We're in our work environment, and the people that we thought we used to like at work just happen to get a little bit more irritating as we spend more and more time with them. Our freedom seems to constrict things, seems to make things frustrating. What do we do when we're at odds with one another? Here's the truth. Conflict is inevitable. It's a part of life. It's a part of our story. It's a part of our journey. In the words of Kelly Clarkson, singer-songwriter, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it's true when it comes to conflict or relational tension of some kind. If I go to the gym and I work out, I'm lifting weights, and I lift more weight with more repetition so I can get more buff than I already am. Why did you laugh? Relational tension, conflict, it's a part of life, it's inevitable. So how do we keep on keeping on when it feels like we're going to just keep on losing when it comes to conflict? Well, in this part two of our series called Keeping On, Keeping On, that is exactly what we're going to attempt to uncover together from Scripture. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to flip with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to camp here for the remainder of our time together today, and we're going to dive into what it looks like to manage conflict according to biblical principles. I've called this talk The Matador. Now, a matador is somebody that ends up voluntarily getting into a ring filled with wild animals. And their goal is to dodge all of the attacks that these animals are inflicting upon them. Sometimes it kind of feels like that for you and I. We're in the middle of conflict, that we're having to duck and dive, figure out ways to get around it, be shrewd in our ingenuity are thinking our way forward when it comes to relationships. But what does the Bible have to say? In week one of our series, we uncovered that this entire letter to the the book of Galatians was written by a man named Paul, and it's probably his most intense letter that he's ever written. There's a lot in there. In fact, I encourage you throughout this next week or whenever you have time, sit down and read it in its entirety. Make notes of things that you notice, things that you have questions about, curiosities that you have, and take those questions, those thoughts, and talk about them with your family, your friends, your group. If you don't have one, start one. Start a conversation about what it means to keep on keeping on. In chapter 2, we start this kind of overarching narrative of what Paul is trying to get across to these churches in Galatia, and he's kind of 
drilling down on a few technical theological ideas, things that they've drifted away from. But then we come to this brilliant set of verses and we get insight into how Paul himself managed conflict. Join me in verse 11 as I read. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for he did what was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law, and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we, may, we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one who will ever be made right with God, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. We get this really kind of potent, kind of behind the scenes reality in the life of Paul. This isn't the first time that Paul and Peter had a disagreement. In fact, in the book of Acts, what we learn about Paul when we meet him the very first time is he goes by a different name. His name is Saul. And Saul has dedicated his life to persecuting everybody that believes in Jesus to the point of death, to the point of excommunication from their family, their friends. You spoke the name of Saul and it instilled fear in those who followed Jesus. But wouldn't you know, this guy named Saul, encounters who Jesus is, changes the way he thinks, changes the way he lives, and now he wants to be a part of the same community that he's been persecuting. Now, this community was led by Peter and a group of his friends, the disciples of Jesus, those who were closest to Jesus when he was alive on earth. And they have a conversation. Paul shows up, Saul still at the time, shows up, into this meeting, and he's like, yeah, I found Jesus, and they are skeptical. They're thinking, this is the greatest infiltration scheme ever. You're wanting to understand how we are wired, how we think, where we gather, so that you can strategically dismantle us from the inside out. Over a series of conversations and the Holy Spirit speaking to the group, they finally relent and understand that maybe this is legit. Maybe Saul has actually changed the way he lived. Not everybody agreed with it, but they felt like, well, take a chance. A man named Barnabas was the first to step up and take a chance. From that moment on, Saul dedicates his life. He later becomes Paul, dedicates his life to serving the marginalized, serving the outsiders with the truth about the gospel. The outsiders were the Gentiles, anybody that wasn't Jewish. Anybody that couldn't trace their family lineage back to Abraham and Sarah of the Old Testament. Anybody that fit in that category, they were on the outside looking in. 
And yet Jesus, the message about him, is for everyone. But human beings still wanted to keep it kind of an exclusive reality. Who's in and who's out? Well, we're in because we're not only Jewish, but now we believe in the Messiah. We've got the traditions to back up our current reality and belief and understanding. That was Paul and Peter's first interaction. And they had subsequent interactions. Here's just another example of what happens when you step into a room where you don't maybe have the same ideas or ideals as everyone gathered in that space. There's tension that occurs. Not only that, but you have Peter who's dedicated his life to helping Jews understand that the Messiah that they've been waiting for from the beginning of time of their community is fulfilled in Jesus. And Paul's mission is to help everybody else that isn't Jewish understand that Jesus is who he says he is. Slightly different, but yet similar enough for them to be on the same team. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that you agree with most of the time, but not all of the time? And it's that one time where you don't entirely agree, you're trying to fa- figure out your way forward. There's, there's a little bit of tension there, frustration. I think what really bothered Paul in this moment was Peter was discriminating people against people. He was saying that this whole group of people that God loves, for whatever reason, because they weren't circumcised, weren't allowed to experience the fullness of God's message, the fullness of truth, the fullness of his story. And the truth is, folks, that our traditions sometimes get in the way of truth. The way we're accustomed to doing things gets in the way of understanding what truth actually is. One of the many gifts that COVID has brought us is they've taken all of our traditions and they've thrown them out the window. Intentionally or unintentionally, that's the reality. We just came out of the Thanksgiving season. Many of us would have gathered digitally with our friends and family as opposed to being in person. Our tradition has changed. Sometimes that's a good thing because sometimes our traditions get in the way of truth. Are we willing to lay down our traditions and embrace truth? So they have this disagreement, and Paul gets frustrated, this hypocrisy, because he's like, look, you can't in one breath love these people, and then in another breath do something entirely different that communicates something else other than love. That's not true. I have got to deal with this. So what does he do? He deals with it. He confronts Peter. Now, confront, that's a big, intense word. I get it. He has a conversation with Peter. He asks Peter a question. Most of us respond to conflict in one of three ways. We fight it, we run away from it, or we flight it, or we freeze when we're in it. Fight, flight, or freeze. Neither of those three responses is actually entirely biblical. Sometimes when we are fighting, we're actually supposed to remain silent. Sometimes when we're fighting, we're actually supposed to stand our ground. And sometimes when we're frozen, we're actually supposed to give a rip and get involved in the conversation. Fight, flight, freeze. 
In this moment, we can see that Paul gave a rip. He wanted to get involved in the conversation. He wanted to put a stop to it right now because he knew if this is something that's going to continue on, it's going to completely fracture the church moving forward. This us and them mentality. Us and them. Or we're really Christian because we do everything and a little bit more. Anytime you add something to following Jesus, that's dangerous territory, friends. It is Christ alone as king. Nothing else. Fight, flight, freeze. Okay, Jason, that sounds really good, but what the heck do I do in the midst of my conflict that I'm experiencing right now? Well, actually, we're going to go into a a series of pro tips. Three pro tips that I'm going to give you. Now, here's a caveat behind these pro tips. If you've ever hired somebody to help you with your golf game, a golf pro, for example, That golf pro has some ideas and tips to make you a better player, but that does not mean that that golf pro is actually a better player than you are. I'm saying all that because I'm going to give you some tips here, and I'll be 100% transparent with you. I am not good at these. So they are pro tips from a pastor who is learning, just like you, what it means to manage conflict in this way. Pro tip number one is this. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Now there's two parts of communication as you are fully aware. There's a verbal part of communication and there's a non-verbal part of communication. The verbal part of communication is the words coming out of our mouths. The non-verbal part of communication, which is the majority of communication that we engage in, is everything else that we do outside of speaking. So let me give you an example. What if you and I were having a conversation and my body language was one like this? I've got my arms crossed. I've got my head hung. And you're talking at me. What am I communicating to you in the moment? Am I communicating that I actually care about you? Probably not. Am I communicating that I'm open to a conversation about the subject that you are talking to me about? Probably not. Now, what happens if we continue that conversation and I adjust my body posture slightly? Instead of crossing my arms, I keep shaking my head from side to side. Not up and down, but side to side. Am I communicating to you that what you are saying to me really matters? Am I communicating to you that we should continue this conversation or that I've got something else better to do? Better yet, what happens if you continue talking to me and instead of staying in that space engaged with my eyes and my body posture, I actually physically leave as you are talking? (laughs) Am I communicating to you that I care about what you are saying? No. Here's a challenge that COVID brings. Many of us are in public spaces, workplaces, places that we're used to gather, and instead of being able to see our mouths, we now wear masks. I don't know if you know this, but when you wear a mask, it's really hard to see somebody's smile underneath it, unless they've got a clear mask. So everything that we might have been used to, to be able to demonstrate that we're engaged in a conversation, we now have to do with our eyes or our eyebrows. Can you smile with your eyebrows? I think if you just lift them really high and open your eyes really wide, that's a smile. It's challenging. 
but yet we have to get good at it. So often when we are in the midst of a conflict, our body language is communicating something that we don't necessarily want to have communicated. It's not the tone of our voice necessarily, it's the way we're carrying ourselves. I had a good friend in Red Deer, his name is Sean, and Sean was an awesome guy, we had a lot of fun together. And many times, Sean would have this kind of challenge of letting the joy that he was experiencing in life reach his face. And I often would say to him, dude, are you having a good day? He's like, yeah, I am. I'm like, you should tell your face. Tell your face you're having a good day because it looks like you're angry. And he would laugh. I was like, that's better. So often our body posture, the way we carry ourselves communicates something differently than we intend to have communicated And in this season where we don't have access to the thing that maybe is easier to communicate our our engagement with something, our, our face, when we're at school, at work, or in a social gathering outside with a number of people, and we're masked up, what other ways can we communicate that we value the person in front of us? Because when we're in the midst of conflict, if you're communicating that you don't value somebody, that conflict isn't going to be resolved. It is just going to escalate. It's going to get deeper and harder and more frustrating and perhaps even emotionally volatile in the moment. And instead of thinking of what we need to do in order to respond to the accusations or what we feel are accusations being tossed at us, what if we just took the time to listen? If we examined somebody else's perspective, would it resolve the conflict? Think of our biblical example here. You've got Peter and Paul. Maybe two guys that didn't entirely love each other as besties. But they respected one another. And Peter's confronted by Paul in front of their peers. Hey, you did this and then you didn't do it. What's up with that, man? And instead of responding volatilely with his words, Peter listened. There are many more stories of actually Peter's interaction with Gentiles later on, where he learns to make sure that what he's communicating, not only in his words, but in his actions, are that they are a part of the family of God as well, if they choose to believe in Jesus as Lord and King. What if you and I were slow to speak, but quick to listen? It was really fascinating to me is several years ago in the nation of England, they decided in their government structure to create a minister of loneliness. Somebody who was in charge of trying to identify how they could create connection and community with their broader country in general. Because they recognize that a lot of people are struggling with loneliness. Do you know what the number one thing that we can do to combat loneliness? Listen. Try it sometime. You have a tension with your neighbor right now? They're blowing all their leaves onto your lawn? They let their dog do their business in your yard and they don't clean up? Try listening to them. 
Don't look to be full of vengeance and revenge. Try listening. Create an opportunity to respond openly. See what God can do through a posture of listening. Pro tip number two. Be for everyone in everything. Believe the best about everyone in everything. Pro tip number two. Believe the best about everyone in everything. I confess this is the most challenging one for me to do. When trust has been violated or feel betrayed in one way, shape, or form, it is hard not only for me to forgive but to trust again. Yeah, you said you were going to do that, but you didn't follow through. I don't think you're going to do that. What if you and I, in any conflict situation, believed the best about another person? See, a lot of times we get into a conflict situation, and we've got this narrative that's playing in our mind about the motivations that that other person has and why they did the thing that they did to us. And guess what? Most often that person has no idea about the narrative in our own brain. And their motivations are, at times, entirely different than what we fabricated in our own minds. What if we would believe the best about everyone in every situation, conflict-wise? What if we saw conflict as an opportunity to create change, an opportunity to learn, to grow, to understand, to become more like Jesus? See, I'm curious. I wonder if confrontation escalates simply because people understand that the person that they are opposed to in that moment actually isn't for them in some way. Have you ever had a boss that you've reported to that you don't believe ever believed in you? You never felt supported, cared for? How did those meetings go? Did you ever have a teenager in your household that you were like, man, everything that they are going to do and say is going to be anti-parent in this moment. Maybe you had an extended family member. Maybe a parent. Maybe a classmate. That person that sits four desks away from you. And now in COVID, you're stuck with them because you're only in a pod of 18 if you're in class going to school. That person. Can you believe the best about them? I wonder how things might change if they believed the best about everyone. See, I got to believe that Paul actually believed Peter didn't know what he was doing. Yes, he calls it hypocrisy, but he's got to be like, look, maybe he just missed it. He didn't understand the implications of what was happening. See, Peter had this affinity to work with the Jewish community to help them understand that what they were waiting for was fulfilled in Jesus. He was passionate about that. And if you ever meet somebody that is passionate about something, they're blinded to something else. They don't see what they don't see. So I've got to believe that Paul gave Peter the benefit of the doubt and said, okay, buddy, let's have a little bit of a conversation here. What's up with this? Do you realize what you are doing? Can you and I believe the best about everyone in everything? Imagine how conflict would be resolved if you and I took this posture. 
if we chose to believe the best instead of assuming the worst. If you're gearing up for a fight, you're going to have a fight. If you enter a conflict looking to create peace, you might end up at a different destination. Pro tip number three. When in doubt, write it out. When in doubt, write it out. See, oftentimes conflict does something in you and I. It evokes a visceral, emotional response. For me, majority of that response simmers between anger and anger. Those are the two dominant emotions that I feel when I'm in conflict, anger and anger. Slightly different, but still similar enough to be called anger. Sometimes when I'm listening to somebody that has an idea in their brain about what I have done, and I know that I haven't done that. I know my intentions were pure, they were motivated in, in grace and in mercy and in truth, and not malicious in any way, shape, or form. I know that. Instead of responding emotionally in the moment, what if, what if I took the time to process what I was going to say before just responding? Some of us in this space or listening online, we need time to think through what we feel and how that implicates kind of our current reality. So when somebody says, hey, this is what you've done to me, we're, we might be devastated. And we need time to process everything that we think, feel, or believe about that situation. I got to tell you, the best thing that you and I can do is when in doubt, write it out. Instead of using our voices more quickly, what if we disciplined ourselves to write that email but not send it? To write that text message in our notes section, not directly to that person. Come back to it a little bit later while you have time to process your emotional response. Read through it and then think through, should I send it? If we don't know how to respond in the moment, what if we took the time and said, hey, I appreciate what you're saying to me and what you're bringing up. I need some time to process this. It might be 10 minutes. It might be two days. It might be an hour. And then get back to it. See, the problem if we use this pro tip is we actually have to follow through on approaching the conversation. So, for example, this conflict comes up and we say, okay, I need some time to process it. I'm not certain of how I feel. I don't want to respond overly emotionally in this situation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, when in doubt, I'm going to write it out. But when you do that, you are committing to having a follow-up conversation with yourself, with that person, with that situation. Because if you do that, and you don't ever return to the conversation, you're actually not dealing with that conflict. There are many other things that we could say and learn together about conflict. But I believe if these three practices we would make routine in our lives as we deal with all the opportunities we have to learn, 
when relational tension is present, how much more like Jesus might we be? I want you to think about this for a moment. Of those three pro tips, where do you struggle the most? Where do you struggle the most? Is it believing the best about people and everything? Is it taking the time to process through your own thoughts and feelings? Which one do you need to spend time on becoming a virtuoso on? Someone that is really good at doing just that. The truth is, conflict is not going away. Parts of our world are shaped by it. And if you and I can learn to keep on keeping on in the midst of all those tensions, we just might become the people of peace that God intends us to be wherever he's placed us. At home, at work, in our communities, or in our schools. My hope and my prayer is that you and I would learn to manage conflict well so that the name of Jesus can be honored in every single situation that we are a part of. Let me pray. Father, I am so thankful that we can learn from the truth of Scripture about what it means to manage conflict. I confess, God, that that is not always a fun thing to do. But there are times in our lives and times in our stories and in our world where conflict is inevitable. And if we find ourselves in that space, God, we want to respond in the way that is honoring to you. We want to be like Paul willing to risk a friendship for the sake of truth, willing to risk conflict for the sake of peace. Lord, would you teach us what that means and what that looks like? Would you allow us to be quick to respond to you as you lead and you guide us? And would you, Father, above all, Help us to know that we are loved by you. And because we are loved by you, no matter what we face, it is overcomable by your power and your presence. Father, would you bless us and protect us? Would you smile upon us and be gracious to us? Would you grant us your favor and your peace? We pray this in your name. Amen.